from the book of Titus, chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility towards all men. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Hello again. Are you still awake? Good. So, we've come, as Kate said, to the final installment of our sermon series, exploring how we can begin again on our Christian journey, recognizing that uh, for all sorts of reasons, we need to regularly begin again. It's that uh, conscious decision to say, yes, I, I commit myself, I recommit myself to Christ, to following Him, because for all sorts of reasons, we, we lose our way, don't we? Let's be honest whether life gets tough and, and then we, we really struggle or, or whether we just lose our first love for God. All, all sorts of things can uh, play a part. But the long and the short of it is that we do need to begin again on our Christian journey. And we've been exploring how we can uh, recommit to and be renewed in our relationship uh, with God in whatever life throws at us. And today we're exploring how to begin again with a Christian lifestyle, such an important part of being a Christian. I'm going to start with a joke to set the scene. A retired vicar, nothing like the two that we have as part of our own church community, you understand, was driving to B&Q to buy a lawnmower when he saw one for sale outside a junk shop. And when he stopped, he found the mower purring beautifully at idle, and the seller assured him that it ran well. Satisfied, the vicar brought the mower home, but the next day when he pulled the starter rope, he tried it again and again and again, but it wouldn't start, no matter what he tried. And finally, he called up the seller at the junk shop and accused him of deception. I said the mower runs well, not that it starts well, the man replied, but there is a knack. You have to swear at the mower. I mean, really swear. 
let it know who's boss. Well, the vicar was aghast. I haven't sworn in years, he said. I don't think I can remember how. The seller chuckled a bit and then said, well, if you keep pulling on that starter rope, eventually it'll come back to you. (laughs) Knowing what to do and how to behave is a big part of living a Christian lifestyle. And as we try, we face many, many dilemmas. We have to be honest, uh, because we really do. I don't think we can overstate the importance of us living a Christian lifestyle, because our lifestyle will have much more of an impact, will affect so many more people than any scheme we can devise as a church and any church-based worship. You know, how is this worship at the moment, other than in this challenge to live a Christian lifestyle, really making a difference for all those people you know and for this community of which this church is a part? We live in a postmodern culture, so we're told, whatever that means. Diversity rules, choice is key, individual beliefs are equal, and pleasure must be pursued. And this cultural context presents Christians with challenges, yes, no doubt about that, but amazing opportunities. But in it all, there's a very real need for Christians to reassess the way that we live. Do we stand out for all the right reasons? Do we know how God wants us to live in this society at this time? Do we care? Do you, like me, regularly face dilemmas regarding the choices that you make, about the way that we use our money, our attitudes and behavior towards sex or sexuality, the products we buy, the way that we treat our families, moral and ethical choices that we make at work? Do we fight the urge to be individualistic, self-centered, and self-seeking? On the subject of uh, being self-centered, there's a story of a mother and her five-year-old son who were heading to McDonald's one day for a Happy Meal when they passed a car accident. And usually when they saw something terrible like that, they said a prayer for whoever might be hurt. So the mother pointed and said to her son, we really ought to pray. And from the back seat, she heard his voice, dear God, please don't let those cars block the entrance to McDonald's. Are we struggling against the impulse and the encouragement of our society to imagine that life is all about me? And if you are, how then can we be renewed to build lifestyles that enable us to live out our faith in Jesus Christ with confidence in today's world? How can we build a lifestyle that draws people to God, a lifestyle that demonstrates what God is like, a way of living that expresses the love and the power of God in life-changing ways. How should we live as Christians? What lifestyle 
should we adopt? And how will we achieve it? Where on earth will we find the strength, the ideas, and the inspiration? Because swimming against the tide may be crucial to the future of the church, may be important to how I follow Jesus, but it sure isn't easy. It's easier to stand here and sing our favorite hymn than it is to go out there and show the world just how much Jesus Christ means to us. So many questions, so many issues to face. Well, fortunately, the Bible passage that we heard read this morning by Rachel gives us some really good and helpful advice. Paul wrote this letter to his close friend, and he was his associate in ministry as well, Titus. He wrote to remind Titus of his task in Crete to straighten out what was left unfinished in the nurturing of God's church in that place, to straighten out what was left unfinished. Paul highlights the foundation on which Titus is to build the church, build this ministry. True faith in Jesus that leads to godliness. And he tells him that right at the beginning of the letter. It's only a relatively short letter. You could read it, and, it's, and Paul says that right near the beginning. And this is the key to living a Christian lifestyle. We don't drum up the strength and the resources and the inspiration ourselves. We won't get very far if we just try to live a Christian lifestyle using the, the things, the skills, and the, the energy that we've got. And more than this, living a Christian lifestyle doesn't lead to faith in Jesus Christ. Even though so often we think it does. If only I get these things in order, then my life of faith will be so much better. If only I could try harder to, uh, to live in a certain way, then my relationship with Jesus will be better. But it's not. Paul makes that clear. It's the other way round. Faith in Jesus Christ leads to godliness. And so beginning again with a Christian lifestyle, it's not about rules. It's about a relationship. A relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this sets the context, if you like, for today's reading and the advice that we can glean from Paul's own words. An important part of living a Christian lifestyle is living as a Christian citizen. There's a public dimension to being a Christian. Christianity is a public faith. It's not a private or a hidden one. And yet so often, because of our reaction to our society and what's happened over the last 40 or 50 years where um, we've seen the death of Christian Britain, if you like, we've retreated to our safe haven. We've not liked what we've seen, and so we've retreated. And we've gone back into our safe haven, our cave, if you like, we've, or our castle. We pull up the drawbridge, and that's where we've remained, right on the margins of society, not in the thick of it where God himself goes. And the writer Paul addresses this, this public dimension, 
this need for us to be right in the thick of public life. And he talks about our public duties, the way that we uh, relate to other people and to those in authority. And Paul highlights in the first two verses of chapter 3 four key qualities that he wants to see in Christians and therefore in us. Firstly, a Christian is law-abiding. And this might seem pretty obvious, and you might think, well, thank goodness for that, it's a pretty easy one. But keeping the laws of the land are important in our communities if we're to live in harmony and our communities are to be in good order. And an important part of this is giving proper respect to those who are put in authority over us. As Christians, we don't stop being individuals. Of course we don't. But we do have responsibilities. We have responsibilities to the way that we treat one another and the way that we respond to those in authority. We're members of a community. We express our personalities not in isolated individualism, but knowing that we have responsibilities to one another, knowing that what we do impacts other people. And so secondly, a Christian is active in service. Active in service. Paul makes it clear that we should be ready for every kind of work just as long as it's good work. That's the criteria. It's got to be good. Now, not everybody can be active in physical ways. Of course, that's understandable. But we can all be active in one way or another. We can do work that is good within or without the church community. But so often we can rely on a core of our church community. We can rely on someone else, whoever that someone else might be. In fact, some people do a number of things inside these four walls and far beyond them, when some do very little. Paul makes it clear that it's the responsibility of every single Christian to get stuck in with serving God in the good things that we can do every day of our lives, no matter where we find ourselves. Thirdly then, a Christian is careful with words, Paul tells Titus. We must not slander anyone. We shouldn't gossip or talk behind people's backs. Christians choose their words carefully and lovingly. Maybe we should only say things about people that we'd like to have said about us, That would be a good rule. That would make a big, big difference to the way that we treat people and talk about people, those who we spend our lives with. And this is a big, big issue for our church or for the church as a whole. This issue can make a big difference to a world that seems to be constantly hurting from the bruising words that people use. Just look at John Terry and Anton Ferdinand at the moment. What a palaver over hurtful and disgusting words. But are we any different? Are we? Am I any different in the words that I use? Do our words reflect the one that we follow? Fourthly, the fourth quality, a Christian is tolerant and kind, peaceable and considerate, Paul calls it, We're not to fight. We're not to be aggressive. But this doesn't mean that we don't stand up for the principles that matter 
or stand with the vulnerable or the oppressed. Jesus makes that very clear that we really ought to. But our actions and our words should stand out for their peacemaking qualities. We're to get things done, make changes, stand up for what's right, make a positive difference, but by being kind and bearing with people who are very different to us. And so by highlighting these four key qualities, Paul is setting the standard for us to aim for. But now, fortunately, he goes on to explore how we can go about achieving these things. If he left it there with the bar set up there, I think I'd probably leave it. I'd pack up and I'd go home. Because I, I, I just can't do it on my own. I can't. It's impossible. And I think we have to recognize that. But fortunately, Paul goes on to explore how we can aim for those standards. He explores what it is that will help us to live out these qualities and to live dynamic lives of faith. And this will help us to think about how we can renew our own Christian lifestyle. Firstly, Paul encourages us, like him, to realize that we all, every single one of us, has a distinctly dodgy past. There's no getting around it. We've all made mistakes. We've all let people down. We've all pursued selfish, empty dreams. We've hurt people, and we've been hateful to the people we love. And facing up to this is absolutely key. Otherwise, we can be tempted to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. We can depend on our own abilities instead of leaning on the grace of God. We can become proud, and this holds us back from living as God wants us to live for Him. In a Christian lifestyle, there's no room for pride. We've got to put it to one side. Secondly, a Christian lifestyle is fueled by all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. The Christian life isn't uh, about living within a set of strict boundaries or a set of rules. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, it's a living relationship with God in Jesus Christ. And so as we look to begin again with our Christian lifestyle, the primary question to ask about the possible courses of action this coming week, particular decisions uh, that we might face or ways of living is this. And it's quite a simple question. Does this fit with my relationship with Christ? Does this fit with my relationship with Christ? Or to put it another way, how does this look if I put Christ in the picture? Or would this be appropriate in the light of my relationship with God? Now that's, pretty, uh, that's a gulp moment. I think, isn't it really? Because a lot of what we do would change. A lot of what I do would change if I stopped to ask that question. And if we apply this question in the days and weeks ahead, then we can see the difference it will make to our lives. Instead of buying those clothes that were made by exploiting underpaid workers in a sweatshop, then our decision might change if we think it doesn't fit with our relationship with Christ. 
or instead of clicking onto that porn site, you might decide that it isn't appropriate in the light of your relationship with God. Or when you're having a chat about a colleague or a friend who's not there with you, you might think that actually putting Christ in the picture, then it isn't appropriate to have that conversation. This important question can have life-changing consequences. And yet still, we might find the answer to the question hard or even impossible. We might ask that question and yet find that we still can't resist that gossip or that sight or that purchase. And so thirdly, and very thankfully, Paul goes on to tell us that behind our living relationship with Christ is the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells Titus that God saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ. You know, all that we can ever do, all that we can ever be as a church, as a community, as a vicar, is limp, it's weak, it's useless without the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the church will not grow through Christians living careful, neat, colorless lives. We will not grow by retreating to the margins and having nothing to do with society or being very careful with how we engage with society. God wants us to be right there in the thick of it. He wants us to live dynamic lives of faith. He wants us to make a difference. He wants us to change lives. He wants us to transform situations. And the only way we're going to do that is by being empowered by the Holy Spirit. The church, once it's renewed, revived, and resourced by the Holy Spirit, then we'll live Christian lifestyles. Then we'll be able to live to the glory of God. And it's by waiting on the Holy Spirit, asking Him to renew us, to resource us, to fill us again, asking Him to set our hearts on fire with love for Him, you know, that's my prayer. I pray it for us uh, many times a day. Set our hearts on fire with love for you. And as the Holy Spirit does that, He will enable us to increasingly live lives that give Him glory. The Lord is showing us more and more as a church community that the key to our growth, the key to our health, the key to our future is by being renewed by His Holy Spirit. And if you're anything like me, then you'll probably be realizing that living a Christian lifestyle requires that you experience again, or for the first time, the power of God's renewing Spirit. And tonight, we have a fabulous, I mean a fabulous opportunity to do this through the renewal of our baptism vows and by praying that God, through His Spirit, will renew our relationship with Christ. We can do this together. We can do it corporately. We can stand together and do that. And we have the opportunity to do it with water. At least two people are going to do it with water tonight. We can either do it with full immersion or, and, or we can do it with sprinkling of water. If you feel God's giving you the nudge to do that, then please act on it. 
It will change your life. It will propel you into a new chapter of your adventure with Him. And it will enable you truly to aim for these stanzas that Paul sets before us and to live a Christian lifestyle. Now, two members of our community, Chris Parry and Laura Downs, they're going to be confirmed too by the bishop. And it's important that we stand with them. And not just stand with them in a passive sense, but in that actively seeking to be renewed by God's Holy Spirit sense. So please don't miss out on this opportunity to have your relationship with God renewed by the Holy Spirit. It really is essential to us being able to begin again with our Christian lifestyle. In fact, we see that it's from being renewed that our lifestyle will flow. So let's pray.